you guys know, for those of you who are here, about three weeks ago I shared this sense of a burden I had uh, that was birthed on a Tuesday night prayer meeting that, um, that God was saying to us as a church to get ready. And the word I heard was get your house ready for the people that I'm going to be bringing to it by paying better attention to the people who are in it. Get your house ready for the people I'm going to be bringing to it by paying better attention to the people who are in it. And I felt like that was for all of us. And, and I, I thought it was strange because when I think of get ready for the people who are, he's going to bring to it, I think of like, oh, we gotta do these outreach programs. You know, we've gotta set up these tables. We've gotta do like info cards so that visitors will get here and they'll, it'll be a, easy for them to assimilate here, find a care group. But that wasn't at all what my burden was. My burden was get ready for them by loving each other better, by paying more attention to each other, by being more careful with each other's hearts. That was the burden. And, um, and then I realized as I looked, at, tried to s- figure out, was this from the Lord? Was this my own imagination, my desire for a big church, whatever? I, I went to the scriptures and realized this dynamic is at the heart of God. Like this is God's heart for how a church grows numerically and biblically. <laughs> like how a church grows numerically and biblically is that the people in it love each other so well and have such a oneness that it is compelling to those who come from the outside to it. And when they come, they're finding not this superficial shell of production, but they're finding people who really love each other and they want that and there's space for them because the love that people have for one another, it's real. It it creates love in our hearts for them too. It makes room and and they, they just want that. And, and we talked about how that is very present in Jesus' last prayer before the cross in John 17 when he says, <clears throat> of all of us, he says, I do not ask for these only, meaning I'm not praying just for my 12 disciples here with me, but also for, for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. And here's what his prayer is, that they may be one, one in unity around Jesus, one in love for each other, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And here's the result of that prayer. And this, can you put this up? It should be on the slide, Brando. Should be in the message slides for today. John 17. Should be the first one. And then look at, look at 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, and me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. And then here's the result. So that the world may believe that you have sent me and love them even, even as you loved me. So our witness, our forbearing with each other, our staying with each other, our pouring into each other, our really knowing each other and caring for each other and growing and being able to do that, it convinces the world there's something supernatural going on here. And it, it lasts a lot longer than healed eyes and healed you know, limbs, which is great. But at the, that stuff is for love. That stuff is for God's glory and, and the truth of Jesus. So <clears throat> the last couple weeks after that message, we've looked at different ways that that love is to be expressed. We took Philippians 2, the humility of Christ, have this attitude, consider each other better than each other. We, we looked at um, that prayer in 17. Today I want to look at 
another prayer. It's a powerful and transforming prayer in Philippians 1. And, and I want to look at this passage in Philippians 1, just this short passage, 9 through 11. I want to read it in its context, though, because I think the whole passage, we're not going to exegete the whole passage, don't worry, but I think the whole passage is worthy of our attention because right here, around this little prayer, which is just two verses, three verses, 9, 10, 11, you see this dynamic of outward mission, of the lost in the world being drawn in through Paul's life, and you see it fed by this love between him and those who are already saved, these people in this church. You see this symbiotic relationship. The oneness they have with Paul is, is feeding his witness to the world. So, so we're going to look at the whole little passage here or the surrounding verses, then we'll focus on a 9 through 11. So here's Paul's prayer. Talking to the Philippians, he says, I thank my God, verse 3, we'll start there. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. And then listen to this. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that's implicit in the Greek, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's talking about his imprisonment, his persecution in Philippi. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let's pray. Lord, I, I ask you, God, to please bless the preaching of your word to our hearts, that you would fill this place and our hearts with your Holy Spirit, that according to your word, Lord God, is the Holy Spirit who allows us to interpret these spiritual truths. So Lord, we can study and we can read, and we can preach, we can hear, but your Holy Spirit must do his work to make these words understandable to us and to make them more than academic, to make them life. Would you do that, God? Lord, I have experienced that so often in my life where you take something preached, something studied, and you make it so much more than words on the page. You make it my life. You feed me with it. And I pray for all my brothers and sisters in this room. And if there are any here who don't know yet Christ, speak to them. Open their eyes through this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to focus on this 9 through 11. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more 
with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, if I went back in time and I didn't tell you what this verse was already, okay, just try to play imagination game with me. And I asked you to fill in the, a missing word from the verse, from this prayer, um, right there in verse 9. It's my prayer that you're blank, that you're blank. Like, just imagine with your sanctified brain, what would it be if you didn't know what was there? That love word was empty, but you knew the rest of it. So it's something that if it abounds, this blank thing, if it abounds in a kind of knowledge and depth of insight, it, whatever it is, will have a real intelligence and discernment and understanding to it so that whatever it is, it, it's done well in your life. And it allows us in situations we're in, whatever they're in, this it, which is growing in, in knowledge and, and insight, that it allows us to choose the most excellent way forward. It allows us to prove what's good in the way forward in our lives. And it leads us all to a standing before Jesus at the judgment where our lives reflect a purity and a blamelessness. And that doesn't mean perfection. We'll talk about that. But it, it reflects a good and faithful servant, well done life before Jesus and, and whatever it is, it's produced this fullness of righteous living through his power. What would you think the, the, the it was? Like, does anybody want to admit, I don't think I would have thought it was love? Anybody want to raise your hand and think, I wouldn't have thought it was love? Well, yeah, yeah, me too. What would you have thought it was? Faith. I would have thought faith. I would have thought trust. And I'm so surprised, well, kind of not surprised, but I guess I continue to be surprised that if I'm honest with myself, I certainly would have picked faith. And, and I don't think that's simply innocent about me. I'm not saying about you. But <laughs> there's something about my walk with God that for all my life has been so individualistic. It's like, when I think of God, I think of me and God as a default. I don't think as a default of you and God. If I think of you and God, it's a default mode to think about me and God. <laughs> like, I have to give an account for your souls before God in heaven. And Hebrews tells me that, that elders have to give an account. I have to report on what happened to you during my stewardship of this church as a pastor here. That's how I often will go, you know, um, I'm not saying that's all I do, but that certainly is, it feels like the point of the spear so often for me. I can be very concerned in my life about my moral purity or living holy or, or and you guys about justice, but I can really disconnect it from loving you and loving God. I, I find it so easy to conceive of my walk with God as all about me, about my heart, how it's doing, my hopes, are they pure? My faith, will it stand? And all of these things are important. We're designed to care about ourselves from the beginning, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not sinful to love yourself in that very sense of you want, the, you, you want to succeed with the Lord. You don't want to die and be judged, right? <laughs> but, but what I'm, I'm realizing is that you can make a tremendously, I'm realizing this more and more, a tremendously solid biblical case 
that it's really our love for each other that has if not, as much if not more to do than anything else with our standing, our functional health with the Lord. Here's what I mean. If we go to 1 John 4, 17 through 21, John says this, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God and whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. John has two other tests. There's faith tests, there's obedience tests. But a real huge test in 1 John of, of the health of your Christian walk is whether you love your brothers and sisters in Christ or not. Righteous living towards God without love towards people and particularly the people of God. Righteous living that's anemic in its love towards God's people is like having an orange and peeling it open and seeing it rotten and dead. It's like saying you have a new beautiful car then opening up the hood and there's just air there under the hood. It's like having a faith that is really shallow hypocrisy. <laughs> I've always thought it remarkable that the clearest and longest text we have like of what the conversation is at the last judgment between us and Jesus, it's in Matthew 25. And in that conversation, it is the longest and most explicit laid out for us like exam ahead of time of our convo between us and Jesus at the last judgment, right? There's, there's not one question in that conversation about our prayer lives, about our sexual purity, about our church attendance, about our time in the Bible, about our fasting, about our evangelizing. Now all those things are crucial means of grace for Christians and commanded to the church explicitly. Don't get me wrong. If you give yourself to a lifetime of sexual impurity, the Bible says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I'm not trying to tell you that these things are important. I'm just trying to tell you that Matthew 25 says on the last day that what Jesus says confirms whether or not your faith and your salvation was real is how you treated his people. That's what determines whether your faith was real or fake, whether you are going to heaven and earth will be found out in how you treated your brothers and sisters. Every single statement that Jesus makes in that pericope, it's famous and you know it, I should, I should mention it. It's, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the people are like, when did we do that? And he says, whenever you did that to my brothers or sisters, you did it to me. And then the other people here, I was naked, and you, were, you, you didn't clothe me. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. I was persecuted, you didn't care for me. And he says, when we never saw you doing that. And he says, whenever you ignored my brothers and sisters, you ignored me. It's not even hate like, that's at stake there in Matthew 25. It's just indifference. It's just ignoring the fellow believer in their deep need. So, <laughs> uh, what is being said here to me is that if we don't love each other well, like really, if we don't really love each other in a way that looks like something, 
Like I can't tell you what, you know, you, but it looks like something and it costs you something and it brings life to you and it brings life to the other person and it has suffering to it. It has problems. It's, 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 there's a persecution about fighting to love one another that doesn't come necessarily from the state but comes from within our own hearts that want to be selfish. If we don't have the kind of love that continues to invite each other into a safe harbor and a friendship, I'm not saying we can all be each other's best friends. We can't. But, but there is a, a desire to love and care about one another. And, 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 and a love that also, as we talked about before, it creates a witness out there. If we don't have that going on here, then this whole church enterprise, I think it's worthless. It, it's worthless to God. And, and we are seriously spiritually sick. And I'm so glad, this, by the way, I'll just cut to the chase. That is, I don't, I, I see a lot of love going on here. I have a lot of love. In, in some of my relationships with you, there's, there's just such a strength of your love towards me, my love towards you. And, and I, I don't know everybody the same way, but I feel a lot of love around this place. And when I hear you guys talking about the church and all we've been through and how small we are now, the one thing I hear in the midst of all that is, but there just seems to be a tenderness here and a warmth here and a transparency here that I really love. And I hear that from other people who come. And that's worth praising. But let's keep going. That's what Paul's gonna say here. He's gonna say, keep going. Keep going. And, and listen, if we think about the last few messages and maybe you don't remember them, but I want to explain why this is so important to God from a theological angle that will help maybe seal the deal for you. This kind of agape, sacrificial, holy, self-giving love, love for one another, like real love, it is the very thing we were chiefly created to reflect because we were created to reflect the image of God, and holy love is at the core of his glory. We were made to look like Jesus. And what does Jesus look like? Do not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant for you and for me, born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for his, out of love for his father and out of love for you. That's what he did. That's who Jesus is. That's the image of God in man. Full of holy, sacrificial love. And that's what Paul is praying here for this church. He's asking for God's glory to be reflected in their lives. He's asking for the completion of the purpose for which these people were made, conformed to the image of his son. And that image, it's relational. It's not simply about your prayer closet and not simply about whether or not you looked at porn this week. It's not simply about whether you showed up on time for work and can boast about that to yourself and your guilt. It's not simply about whether or not you cheated on your taxes on the last day. I mean, all those things are crucial and important. But God is a relational being within himself and his image, it's, it's self-giving, it's self-sacrificing. God has always been existing in a love relationship. And that's why our image bearing, it has to be oriented in relationship with each other. It has to. Oh, man, Lord. I, I, I can't qualify everything, so don't hear me, but 
in Matthew 7, you know, Jesus says to these people who performed these amazing miracles and these amazing prophecies, you know, in, in a sense, if we look at what's going on in Matthew 7 by looking at what has happened in 5 and 6, Jesus says to these people, I never knew you. Because they didn't live out Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, which if you look at Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 has so much to do with loving each other. Divorce, hate, adultery, lust, giving to the poor. I think Jesus is saying you can keep the miracle worker. Give me the Samaritan who stopped for the beaten man. I'm not saying miracles aren't great. I'd love to see more miracles. But if they don't lead to love, you can keep the PhD in New Testament exegesis. Give me the widow who gave her last penny. Listen, in a heart of love, a New Testament, degree, you know, a PhD in New Testament exegesis is a powerful weapon in the kingdom. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But, but in all our good works even, even our good works for each other, there must be, for God to be truly imaged and pleased, there must be a heart of love. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, if I give my body to be burned and all I have to the poor, right? I mean, those are some nice Matthew 5 and 6 stuff too, right? But if I have not love, I'm nothing. I'm a clanging symbol. It profits me nothing. And so, He's praying that this something happens inside these people or continues to happen because it's happening already. You can tell by reading what I read at the beginning. It's happening already. They love him. He loves them. And he's saying more, 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 more. Something we can't produce on our own. Something we can't create simply by acting and doing, though that helps. <laughs> you know, C.S. Lewis said famously something like, if you don't love a man but you hate him, Act like you love him and soon enough you will. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. It's not from the Bible. But, <laughs> but Paul isn't starting in verse 9 with our action. He's starting with a prayer. And that is so darn encouraging because it shifts the hope. After we hear all this stuff I just said about, you gotta love, we gotta see real love, you know? And you feel all that, Ugh! and if you're listening, you're starting to evaluate yourself and you're starting, where's the gospel in that? And you're, or you're thinking, I don't do this, I'm terrible. Paul doesn't go to you first like I just did. He goes to God because he knows that what you and I need, we don't have in ourselves. It must come from the source. You're just a hose. You're not the water. We're never the source. And yet, because he's a God of love, Paul says he's going to give you this. So ask him. Like, really, what you might imagine right now, you don't have. And I think this is part of what Paul's trying to preach to us today. What you don't have, what's deficient in your love for people, and there's deficiencies in it, for real. And in me, for real. We gotta stop thinking that we're, like, we gotta stop being paralyzed by that. Like, we gotta look at the sacrifice of Christ for us and say, all my sins are gone. In his estimation, I am holy, and therefore I'm invited into his presence to ask him for good stuff. And we got to come with confidence. God, I don't have in my life, I'm not seeing enough of this good stuff. So I'm coming before you in the name of Jesus to get this good stuff, this love for people. We, we can't just sit in our guilt and our, in, in our bitterness about ourselves. Because I go there. I get there. I struggle. And I know some of you guys do too. You say, no, 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 no. I've taken care of your sins. You're holy. Come and get it. 
So Paul says more and more. So let's start to talk about this prayer specifically because I want to preach not just my burden but the word of God. Paul says more and more and more and more. I'm praying that your love would abound more and more and more. What's that mean more and more and more and more? It means more and more and more and more. <laughs> it means what it looks like it means. Love has no saturation point. Have you ever thought about that you can analyze too much, right? You can think too much. You can advise too much. You can give too much counsel. I can. You, you can talk too much. I can. You can be quiet too much. You can eat too much. You can exercise too much. You can do just about anything too much. But guess what you can't, in a biblical sense, ever do too much? You can never love people too much. You can never love God too much. When Jesus said, if anyone loves their mother or father more than me, he's not worthy of me, he didn't mean it. <laughs> like, just as he didn't mean it, unless you hate your mother or father. When we're talking about biblical love that wants the best for the other person, and biblical love is a love that wants the other person to grow in God. He knows God is the best thing. You can't, I don't think we're going to run out of room for that to grow in. And really, Paul's talking about love. He doesn't qualify it with an object. I pray that your love would warm up more for people. It's, it's a both. It's for God and people. He wants their hearts to be more loving hearts. But there is a real for each otherness in this when you look at the text, I think. So, but there's also something encouraging for the Philippians, and I think it's encouraging for you. I've already touched on it. This word more and more and more, it means it was already there. There were problems, there was struggles, there was sin, but Paul is implicitly pointing out a virtue in them and encouraging them to keep doing it. And he said that earlier in the passage, right? I feel your love. I love you guys. You've been my partners with the gospel. And I feel that way about so many of you here this morning. I, I, I feel loved by you, and I, I see you loving each other. And God says more, more, more. He has more to give us. He has more sacrificing for us to be able to do not out of guilt and out of <laughs> drudgery, but out of joy. He has more people for us to care for and to care for them better. I think that's my burden, right? That I, I believe he is saying that. He has more for us. It, but it's not simply about more. It, it's about an increase in the quality and the kind of love. We see that in the, in the next phrase here. He says it's a love that if it's going to be all that love wants it to be, if our love is going to be all that love wants that love to be, it's going to be love that comes with knowledge and depth of insight. Like knowledge, it's an important word, epigenosis, and it almost always means spiritual knowledge of God and God things, God's heart, God's will, and a fullness of it. He wants a fullness of that knowledge more and more and more and more. Understand God better and better and better. Understand his heart. Understand wh what he values. Understand how he feels about you and how he feels about people. And we get that from being in his word. We get it from other places. We get it from John Piper. We get it from Jim at Care Group. But, but we get it from his word in a pure, uh, flawless way that we can't get anywhere else. I was talking to Ryan this week. So many times I'm looking at these different teacher, teachers and, and, you know, John Piper and Francis Chan or these other guys I hear about other here, and I'm like, well, they're saying this, they're saying this. And I'm like, I need a referee. <laughs> this guy says this, this guy says this, I said this, she said this. I need a referee. That's the word of God. That's the referee. That's the primary source. 
when you're writing research papers, you know, we want a lot of primary source work. Secondary sources, they can be helpful, but we want the, the pure stuff of the word. So that's what Paul is praying. They would grow and understand the character of God so that you can approve what is best. Approve what is best. So that you may approve what is best in verse 10. See that approve? See that word? That, that is the picture of someone testing a coin to see if it's counterfeit or if it's fake. I want my love to, is, is this a real loving thing to do or not? And in light of the character of God, what he wants for me, what he wants for them, is this a loving thing to do? And, and that's, that's the ability to approve and weigh it. It's also used of Egyptian priests. They'd weigh the cattle before they'd sacrifice it. They would, they would approve it. They would say, is this the right kind of cow? Is it pretty? Is it whatever the sacrifice needed? They would taste, that cow's not good, that cow's not good. That. They'd choose the best cow. So you want your love to represent the best cow. For those, for those people, whatever the sacrifice you're making. One of my favorite passages that makes this clearer is in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Listen to what Paul says there. Just in a few words, he says so much. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle. He's saying, correct, warn the lazy. And then he says, encourage the, fake, the faint-hearted. Some of you people are barely holding on, he's saying. They need courage. They need hope. Bring them hope. Encourage them. Then he says, help the weak. There's some people who are just, they're immature, they're wounded, they're broken, they're different varying degrees of ability. And he's saying, help those people. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And then he says, blanket, be patient with them all. Be patient with the idle. Be patient with the faint-hearted. Be patient with the weak. David Paulson wrote a paper on this. It's a classic in counseling venues I'm, I'm hearing about. It's worth your reading. If you want to see it, let me know, and I'll see if I can get it to you. But he makes the observation that's never left me of how destructive it can be when someone admonishes or corrects the faint-hearted or the weak. And how destructive it can be when someone encourages the lazy in their laziness <laughs> and commends them for flattery's sake or for ignorance sake. So effective love is love that operates with discernment, insight. It, it knows what to do. To love one person in one circumstance, it, it may look like consolation and comfort. That's what they need. And you want to start, you know, when my mom died, I had people, and if this was, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, it's worth repeating. I had people texting me psalms of God will restore and thanksgiving and praise the Lord and sadness, he will be with you. None of that stuff ministered to me. I just was mourning. I needed some people to mourn with me. <laughs> I needed some people just to be with me, just to be sad with me. Most, mostly not even talking. I remember walking out one Sunday and Paul Roberts looked me in the eye I, if you remember Paul, I want Paul back, man. <laughs> but he looked me in the eye with these heat vision. If you remember Paul, he had like heat vision. Like, and he just looked at me in the hallway, no smile. And he just said, no one like mom. There's no one like mom. And we just sat there and I bawled, you know, for like 10 minutes. He didn't say anything else. To another person, it might look like simply listening and being patient with them at the hospital. To another person, it might look like money for medical bills. To another person, it might look like not giving them money because they're not using it well, and they need to face some consequences. To another person, it might look like helping clean out their parents' basement after a death. To another person, it might be time to speak wisdom 
into a tough situation. Another is holding your tongue because you know they just need emotional space to process. I touched on that. It's in my notes. but I, Love might look like an apology because you need to just own up to something with someone and you need to confess. But sometimes love might look like holding back an apology because it's a false apology. You didn't really do anything wrong and the conflict won't be truly resolved. You'll just enable them to keep doing what they're doing and it's just sometimes love looks like warning and rebuking. Sometimes love looks like I, they're just not ready to hear. I've said it, I've said it. I need to walk away. You get the point, right? For love to be effective, it needs to have discernment and insight and knowledge so the best way can be chosen for the situation. But don't lose sight of this. It's love. Like whatever the different wrapping is, underneath the wrapping is, I'm for you. So if I'm not helping you with your medical bill, it's, well, that's pretty harsh. If I'm not helping you with your birthday expense, birthday party expenses, your, you know, it's love. I'm for you. If you're rebuking, it's love. I'm for you. And may God give you grace to communicate that and then you give them grace to hear that, which is not always in your power. But it's love, and it will lead to a life that's pure and blameless, Paul says in the day of Christ. It leads to purity. This is a beautiful word. I love this word. It really means it's not hypocritical. It's not fake, this pure word. In the, in the Greek society, this word comes from this idea of, like, no wax. No wax. Fine pottery was thin pottery in the ancient world, and it'd break easy. So... Um, Immoral pottery salesman, or what's the word? Immoral is the wrong word. Um, lack of integrity pottery salesman, they'd pick these pieces up together and they'd put wax in between the pieces and they'd basically glue it together with wax and they'd paint it and gloss it over so you couldn't tell. So people would buy these fine pieces, but they were trash. And you could walk out of the pottery store and if the sun was bright enough and the, and the, the, the job wasn't you know, done perfectly or if the job was clear enough to see, you could hold up the pottery and the sun would shine through and you'd see the lines. So this idea of pure means you, you are who you are with these people. You're not faking it. You, you're, you live a life that's real. It's transparent. You're being real with them. Your love is not flattery. It's not hypocrisy. You're not presenting someone that you're not. It's blameless. It, that doesn't mean that our lives are perfect. It means that we're keeping short accounts with each other. We're confessing. Um, there, there's more to that word, but I, I, I'm going to move on, and I'm, I, I'm having trouble recalling all of it. But blameless is, is, is not perfection. Paul was not perfect. You're not being called to be perfect. But it does mean that you're not putting stumbling blocks in people's way. You're not enticing them to sin with the way you're living, and you're also not in your own conscience full of stumbling blocks. So you're keeping short accounts with God. You're keeping short accounts with the people that you need to keep short accounts with. That when you do blow it, you're asking forgiveness and you're moving ahead. So they're, they're closely related. You can kind of feel in both of them there's a lack of hypocrisy. There's a realness before them because the way you've loved them. Well, let's, let's move on here. Um, he says that this will all happen on the day of Christ, this will all be revealed, right? 
Read Paul sometime and ask yourselves in a letter like Philippians or Romans, like how often does he talk about the day of Christ? He talks about way more than we sing about <laughs> and way more than I might preach about. He, he was really concerned about that day. I repeat myself <laughs> because it's worth repeating. People die. Everybody is going to die in this room. I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe it really happens. Like, I, you guys know I've lost my mom, my dad, Jen's dad. All in the last eight months, those dads are gone. I've watched both those guys talk and live and breathe, and then they gone. I can't find them anywhere. <laughs> And it came. I couldn't believe it really happened. It's like graduating. I really graduated. I can't believe it. I used to fantasize about finally being done with school. And then I got married. I was like, I can't believe I really got married. I always wondered about this day. I really got married. And I had a kid. I'm like, I dreamed of having a kid. I can't believe it really happened. I had a kid. And sometimes about being a pastor. I can't believe I got to be a pastor. The same thing is going to happen with death. <laughs> I'm really going to die. Could be tomorrow. Could be today. And Paul's concerned for those people about that day. He's not maudlin and depressed, but he is not being a fool, and he wants them not to be foolish. That day is more important than any day besides the day that hopefully you got saved. But that day is coming. So much of the world believes this is garbage. So much in our hearts, you know, when Josh Harris went off the rails, it, it was tempting. God, is this real? Is, it, is, is this what Josh says, a bunch of bunk? I'm not trying to impugn Josh, but is it really not true? And well, I'm so glad <laughs> that I remember that there's that last day, that I'm really going to have to die. And I'm so glad that somebody came and told me to be ready for that day. And that Jesus did that. And then he sent his apostles around to die, to lay their lives in the lounge, on the, to lay their lives down, to get you ready for that day, to say that day is real, that day really is coming. Be ready, be ready. Come to the Savior, be changed. And then Paul says that his prayer is that the result will be they'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All this stuff that he's praying for, all this righteousness, this is so hope-giving. Look at what he says there in verse 11. Takes us back to the fact that this is a prayer, right? He's asking God. He says that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from your good effort, that comes from your great character, that comes from your pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. All those things are involved, but that's not the source. He says it comes through Jesus Christ. And that's why, instead of you getting all the glory in the next phrase, who gets all the glory? God. And you get the joy of seeing that God did all this in you, stayed after you, disciplined you, encouraged you, comforted you, lifted you up, let you go through the valley, worked all this in you.
let me try to make some points of application here. The, this love in Paul's prayer in this text, in the passage we looked at from John, they, they cannot be disassociated from the gospel witness. Remember, I, I'm getting excited about thinking, and, and i just be frank with you guys, I've, I'm just trying to think about what, what's helpful and not going to make us run on and on and on. It is exciting to think about God wanting to bring more people to this church. And, and some of that can be fleshly, but I think as some of it is just that we just want our lives to be meaningful. Like we want our lives to, to be useful. We want to build something good. And, and it, as more people come, it feels like there could be, there isn't always, the Mormon church is very big, there's a ton of people on Facebook. It doesn't mean either of those institutions are godly or good. But there is plenty in Scripture that, that rejoices in every tongue and tribe and the multitude we couldn't count and the great throng and 5,000 were added that day. And so you, you want to be part of something that's effective and meaningful and making a difference in people's lives. And for that reason, it's exciting for me to think about God building and adding to our numbers again after so long. But but not at the cost of real integrity here, right? Not at the cost of real love. We don't want it the cheap way. We want it the right way. We want love that we can give them because there's love between us. But those two things go together. Our oneness and the witness to the world, they have to go together. And it should create some level of sense of mission together and excitement together. And that's why this prayer is surrounded with remarks about gospel partnership. Love means caring about the lost and realizing that our lives here are to help others know Jesus and be saved. So, so I, I want you to consider that maybe even in your own consciousness, after all this preaching and talking about it, does God want to say to you, love this church, these people, more and more and more because I want this church to be real for the lost and the smashed and the broken and to be ready for rescue. You've been rescued to rescue. So help in that rescue plan by getting better and better and better about taking care of what I've given you now. And if you do a good job taking care of what I've given you, well, that's God's principle, isn't it? He who is faithful with little, will be faithful with much. So let's be excited about this prospect of praying that our love for each other would really abound, that God might make this a healthier and more beautiful rescue ship for other people that he wants to bring to it. Um, another three things. Final three application points. You can't give what you don't experience. You can't give out what you don't experience. We love because he first loved us. So I, I want to come back to this. We talk about it so often. Are you bathing, saturating yourself, doing what you need to do with the means of grace, like prayer and fellowship and Bible study and preaching and worship to experience God's love for you and God's beauty to attract you and God's holiness? You know, I, another thing I realized this week through this text is I always think of my quiet times 
I said this in the beginning, kind of, but this is a little micro version of it. I always think of my quiet times for myself, like my own spiritual health. But it, it, this passage reminds me, my quiet times are for you, too. Like, I'm, you know, when you see a pregnant person or you've been pregnant, and, and they'll say, I'm eating for two, right? I'm eating for two. You're having your quiet time for two, three, four, five. You taking care of your walk with God positions you to bless other people with your walk with God. And I've got to get out of this mindset that I'm, you know, my quiet time is just for me. It's for my wife and my babies and for you guys. And we love because he first loved us. So are you acquainting yourself again and again and seeing again and again? Because our glasses get so muddy as we go through the day. Our feet get so dirty as we go through the week. Are you acquainting yourself with God's love for you? Last week I preached on the once and for all sacrifice. That means I'm holy now. That means my sins in some way that's hard to understand but is absolutely true. My sins are put away forever. I'm going to sin tomorrow. It's gone. I'm going to sin next week. It's paid for. I'm going to sin next month. The blood has washed it off of me. And it's the most freaking, I'm sorry, Mike, forgive me for saying freaking, I, I, I need some, it is the gosh darndest, like, most liberating, beautiful thing that can ever be told to me. Sorry, Mike, that I said sorry, Mike, because now everyone's like, Mike, what's Mike's deal with that? I can't get out of it. I apologize. But, but that's the most liberating truth imaginable for me. And I didn't realize how much I needed it again. But I watched my heart with my wife, with my kids, uh, yesterday I met with Jay Coleman, me and Jay talking in the park, and I was just like, man, I just feel so much secure in him. And it was so much easier to just be at ease with them and love them. There was more room for me to want their best because I was not as worried about me, <laughs> you know? And so are you acquainted again today, tomorrow, the next day with the love of God for you? Because you love because he first loved you. And that's true in a fundamental, if you're saved, that's true forever. But there's a way that we experience that more or less, depending on whether we are doing what we need to do to put ourselves in front of that love by seeing it in his word, by preaching it to ourselves. So keep the gospel close. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, Hebrews says, lest we drift away. This is the gospel that you heard by which you are saved if you hold firmly to the truth. Otherwise, you believe in vain. Hold, hold, hold fast the gospel. Point two, you can't give what you don't know is needed. You can't give out what you don't know is needed. Think about Paul's prayer here and how it comes after he says these things i remember you all my prayers for you i always pray with joy because of your partnership from the very beginning until today it's right for me to feel this way because i have you in my heart god can testify how long how i long for you with the affection of christ jesus because you share the gospel with me there's a sense of history with these people i don't know all the details but he knew them they knew him are you close enough to people in this church often enough, close enough, often enough to really know them, to really walk with them, to really listen to them, suffer with them, 
to have a true and real affection for them, a real sense of their lives and their troubles and their rhythms of problems and strengths and weaknesses and gotten together with them enough that, that you're a, it's, a part, it's becoming a part of your life too and your worries too. Listen, this is not something I'm super good at. And listen to me, you can't be friends with everyone. You can't do this with everybody in this church. But there should be a few people here. Maybe it's just one to start with, or two to start with, that you can really walk with. Everybody here should feel like someone wants to walk with them and can walk with them. I, by God's grace, please pray for me. My plan right now is next Sunday, I'm gonna talk to you guys about a lot of structure stuff and the principles in some of the structures of our care groups and this idea of triad, and we're gonna talk about gym. I'm still trying to think through how to do that without making it hyper-technical and boring you to death, but I, I really wanna talk about some of the nitty-gritties of this, but this idea of triad, I have been trying with Ryan for several weeks to, um, to just double down with him and, um, and, and Josh and me and Ryan were, were started to do a triad together and I know Josh has had some things and so mostly the last few weeks it's been, sorry I'm being all like <laughs> transparent about this, but it's been easier to hit Ryan than Josh. But, but in the last few weeks, just in the last few weeks, just like an extra hour and a half, an hour a day with Ryan, like I can just tell, like my love for him is just growing as I hear about his life, as I pray for him, as I listen to him, as he listens to me, as we talk. I, I've always loved Ryan since I start, you know, since I like got to meet him in this church. Um, but my love for him is just like taking on a, a greater depth because I, I'm just with him, close to him. Same thing happened with Jim. This summer me and Jim started meeting on Thursdays at 10, you know, more regularly. And I've always loved Jim. But, but the more we got in rhythm with each other and close to each other. And listen, it's joy. Like it's joy. It's not drudgery. It's joy to, to get to know these men better and to feel like they're in my life. It just brings me a sense of support and care. It's what I'm made for. It's what you're made for. So, so uh, it can be hard. I know relationships can be tough too. But my prayer is that we, with love and discernment, will be brought to or push into deeper with what we already have of each other. But I don't, we don't want anyone in this church, right, to not have functional family in Christ. So if, if you don't have that, come and see me. And next week we're going to talk about how to push deeper into that. But I want to help you with that. It may not be able to be me because I can't, I need you guys to do the work of ministry because I can't do the work of ministry on my own and I don't do the work of ministry on my own. Like, it's not as if you guys aren't doing a lot of work of ministry, Deb Coleman. But like, I, I need, we all need to be doing this together. We all need to be watching out for each other. Um, so are, are you ready to grow in this, to share more of your goods, to share more of your gifts with this church? We're a sweet, kind, tender church, but there are things we need to repair there are things I think we need to do a better job at. At least things we need to think through. How we care for our kids. How we care for our young people. How we care for the singles. How we care for the youth. We're, we're in a city with a lot of financially needy folks. There's a lot of brokenness around us. And God may not for a season be bringing us a plethora of well-established 50-year-old couples with four kids who can, you know, tithe $10,000 a year or something like that. It, it's leaner. But God is bringing us people who need him, who need our time, who need our money, who need our affection. So are we ready for that? Are we ready for the younger and the immature? 
We have young folks who've lost a youth, I'm reading from my notes now, I know I went over this, but I wanna make sure I don't miss it. We have young folks who've lost a youth group, young adults ready for more truth about God than we know, than we may know they need. And they're also ready for relationship with each other, you know? They're, they're ready for, young people are looking for marriage, and, and that's not a bad thing. And we should be able to help with that, whether it's in our church or other churches. So would you pray about, Lord, where are there needs here that I have time to give more of myself to so that we can love the people you've given us better? Um, man, I, I, I'm, I'm fearful this sounds like a spanking at this point because I don't mean it to. You guys are doing a good, sweet, great job. There's, there's a lot of effort being put out here. But you can pray, God, keep it going. Give me more. And, and sh- show people here, maybe pray for others who maybe need to be giving themselves more to give of themselves more. Lastly, you can't give what you don't have. We must fervently plead to God for this. You can't give what you don't have. I said you can't give what you don't experience. Now I'm saying you can't give what you don't have. There's a different shape here. I want to go back to the beginning of this prayer and the simple idea, this is my close, this is a prayer. Like, let's just think about that for a second. So many things in the Bible can just be drive-bys. We, we, they're just, we've heard them so many times, we, we just, they just come and go. We don't think about them. But a simple idea like this, listen. This is a prayer. This is not a command. It's a prayer. This love must be sustained and increased and, if it's not there at all, created by Almighty God or else it won't happen. This love that Paul's praying for, it must be sustained, created. So when we go through this message and I talk about application for you, I think the biggest application is actually for you pleading with God to make this happen here in this place. There's a story that James Boyce tells in his commentary in Philippians. It's, it's a b- hilarious, wonderful story. He uh, talks about Lawrence of Arabia. If, if you don't know who Lawrence of Arabia is, he's a guy who lived in the early 20th century, I believe, who was a British agent who went to Arab lands and began to foment revolution and help them take back their lands from other powers the British didn't want controlling them. And what ended up happening was he was kind of the father of a lot of Arab independence, and I think that was sort of not exactly what the English had in mind, but it worked out that way. Um, but Lawrence loved the Arabian people, and one time he brought a bunch of Arab Bedouins, I think, to, to France to see France. All these people grew up in tents in the desert, camels, and he brings them to France, and they see the Arc de Triomphe and the Eiffel Tower, and I can't remember, but maybe they went to the Louvre. I don't know if the Louvre was there or not. Um, I do want credit for Louvre, but, um, but they don't care about that stuff. So they're getting ready to leave the hotel to go back to Damascus or Syria or Saudi Arabia. And they're all like holed up in the bathtub, <laughs> these Arab guys. And you know what they're doing? They're, they're trying to take the faucet off of the bath. <laughs> they're like grabbing the faucet from the bathtub to put in their bags to take with them back to Syria. Because what they were most impressed with and what really attracted them in Paris was the water. 
the water is so hard for them. It's in wells, they have to go far distances, they have to fill jugs. But in Paris, everywhere you went, there were these faucets. So they were like, let's grab these faucets and take them back to Saudi Arabia. So Lawrence had to explain to them, wait a second, <laughs> those are just faucets. They're not the source. The source comes from the mountains and the rivers and the rain. So we can't get the love we need to love others with from ourselves. We're just faucets. <laughs> so simply only trying to work this up in ourselves is grabbing the faucets, throw them in our bags, and think we're going to get water from them. But if we cry out to him, and we abide in him, we ask him, we stay close to him, and we ask him, fix our eyes on the holiness that he has won for us and the forgiveness that he's won for us, which makes us welcome in his throne with confidence. And we plead with him, do this, do this, do this, do this here. Do this in my heart. Do this in my family. Please, God, please do this. Do this in my church. He's going to do this. So let's commit to do that. Every Sunday I want to preach shorter than I do. <laughs> Let me pray for you and then we'll go get coffee, okay? Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would encourage your people through it and I pray that you would bless our hearts to this end. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we as a church and individually would pray this prayer regularly and with faith and with depth and prayers like it. I pray that this idea would become part of our prayer life. I pray you would create conviction in people even now in this church family that they're not praying or that they can pray. Lord, whether the case is that there's not enough prayer for their church family going on or, or just they realize more the opportunity they have to pray for this local witness. And, and I pray, God, that you would create in them a desire and a joy and enthusiasm for praying this prayer, knowing it is what you want to do. And that's why you gave us this prayer recorded for 2,000 years, so we would pray it. And so, God, would you please help us to pray this prayer and be faithful to and would you please delight and surprise us with more love here, more love for each other. Would it please abound more and more, produce fruit that's pleasing to you? Lord, we lay this all at your feet. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.